Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we're in the podcast series, The Gospel According to Moses, in the book of Genesis, and we're at Lesson 78. And in this lesson, we're going to focus in on Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. And here, we read about that amazing event of Jacob wrestling with a man. We look at Genesis 32, verse 24, and in Hebrew, it says, Notice that word ish. Basically, it says, and Jacob was left alone and wrestled alone with a man, ish. So the Bible says a man. But as we read more, we ask, who is this man? It gets very interesting. Now, many have their opinions and views. Some are downright surprising. So surprising, in fact, that these views contradict the very words of God in this event. Another aspect of this event, we ask the question is, why is it here? Because prior to Genesis 32, verse 22, we find that Jacob is preparing for Esau's coming. He heard about that his brother's coming, and Jacob feared what was about to happen. He, he feared the worst. So, everything's set up. We're waiting for Jacob to show up, and all of a sudden, what happens, okay, is this wrestling event. I mean... We're wondering what's going to happen when Jacob and Esau meet after 20 years and he wrestles with the man at the river? Huh? It just doesn't fit. And you guys, both Christian and Jewish scholars, agree something is really strange about this. In Dr. John Kareed's Torah commentary, and again, Dr. John Kareed is an Egyptologist, an archaeologist, and a theologian supreme. Um, he has his Torah commentary, and he has a, a statement in here regarding this event. He says, this present section is a mysterious and perplexing narrative. Its obscurity primarily stems from the question of the identity of the adversary with whom Jacob wrestles. Many interpretations have been have been given regarding this issue, and they range from the rational to the bizarre. And so indeed, Dr. John Kareed, a recognized, celebrated Christian theologian and archaeologist, is saying there's something strange going on here for sure. Why is this thing here? We go into Nahum Sarna's commentary on Genesis and the JPS Torah commentary. And Dr. Sarna says, this extraordinary episode, notice what he's saying, extraordinary episode, related with remarkable, remarkable brevity, is replete with problems of interpretation. Now, what are the problems? These involve the imagery, the geographic locale, the purpose of the assault, the identity of the assailant, the significance of the name change, 
Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel, and the cohesion of the diverse elements, and finally, and the place of the story within the larger narrative. In other words, Dr. Sarna is showing us why is this thing here? So we're dealing with some awesome questions regarding the awesome interpretations of this event. So let's go now. Let's go now and study. Once again, we focus not on a Christian theologian's view of who Jacob was wrestling with, or not even on a rabbi's opinion, but on the very words of God. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible not say? Are you ready? Come. Let's go. section I would like to deal with tonight is um, one thing that we realize is Genesis 31 through 34 in these chapters uh, we're confronted with some really awesome events and so I want to consider one of those awesome events and I'm in Genesis 32 starting in verse 22 so I'm going to talk about these real awesome events the present went over before him, and he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford of Yabuk. By the way, Jabuk Canyon. We know where that is. It's the Jabuk River. So I had a question last week about was this the Jordan? No, it's right there. It's the Jabuk. Okay, the Jabuk River, which is a river that comes in from the country of Jordan today and actually comes into a deep canyon and comes into the uh, Jordan River, just south of the Sea of Galilee. Now, one thing I want to mention here, uh, which is important for the rest of our night, look at this. He rose up, meaning Jacob, and he took his two wives and, his two, and the two women servants and his 11 sons. No mention of Dina. No mention of her. What in the heck? Why not mention her? It's a question. And scholars debate that. Why isn't she mentioned there? What, does she walk? Okay, to leave her on the other side to get killed by Esau? I mean, one of the things that I scholars would suggest is in the ancient Near East, girls are, they're worth nothing. They're secondary citizens. Now, the Bible doesn't treat them that way. The culture did, okay? Who's important in the ancient Near East when you're dealing with inheritance, firstborn, and so on? The boys, period. So there's no mention of the girl. She's there. So, matter of fact, when she's born, you could check this out in uh, Genesis 30 to 21. Okay, you're going through this whole thing, okay? Um, Rachel has Joseph, and um, uh, Leah is having these boys, and her maidservants have these boys, and all these boys. That, and then all of a sudden it said, and by the way, Leah had Dina. That's it. She had Dina. No, that's it. Doesn't say that Jacob loved his daughter or anything. Just had Dina. So it could be that we are looking at in that culture of that time. Okay, 
the fact that she's just insignificant to the family. She's not one of the 11 boys. There's a possibility. Anyway, let me continue. And he took them, meaning his family, uh, and sent them over the wadi and sent over that which he had. And Yaakov was left alone. And there he wrestled with a man, that's what it says in Hebrew, with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Yaakov's thigh was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. And he said to him, what is thy name? And he said, Yaakov. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Yaakov, but Israel. For thou hast contended with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Yaakov asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, why is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed them there. And Yaakov called the name of the face Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. An amazing story. Out of nowhere, Jacob is going to be wrestling with a guy by this river, Yabok. And when we go into this, there is a lot of speculation. Again, the rabbis have views, scholars have views. It's all over the map. Why is this story here? What's its purpose? We don't know. The Torah is silent as to why it's here. Um, and as far as the story is concerned, some Christians say that, that Jacob wrestled with Jesus. Okay? Some Christians say that Jacob wrestled with Jesus. Well, let's take a look at some rabbinical opinion. Okay? Let's see what the rabbis have to say. No, they're not going to say Jesus. That's, Carol, you are 100% right on that one for sure. So I'm in the uh, Chumash, uh, again, a uh, orthodox rabbinical commentary on the Torah. O orthodox, very, 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 very orthodox. The struggle with the angel, okay? You ready for this? Hang on to your seats, guys. The confrontation was one of cosmic events in history. I agree. This is just... Oh, this is amazing stuff. The rabbis explained that this man was the guardian angel of Esau. That's interesting. The guardian angel of Esau in the guise of a man. The rabbis teach that every nation has a heavenly power. Have you heard that before? Every nation has a heavenly... Uh, has, okay. Guess where you learned that from? The rabbis. That's not in the Bible. That's rabbinical opinion. Interesting. And we suck it up, hook, lion, and sinker. Because rabbinical opinion has permeated into the church, and we're always in love with guardian angels. By the way, do you understand that there's no angels in the Bible? None. What are they? Messengers. That's what they are. The word angel does not exist in Hebrew. It does not exist in Greek. The Greek word is angelos. What does angelos mean in Greek? Messenger. It doesn't mean what you think it means because you want an angel with wings and especially these little Cupid guys that are in diapers and they got the, you know, so. Anyway, so this is interesting. So every nation has heavenly power, an angel that guides its destiny on earth and acts as an intermediary between the nation and God. Do a Bible study on that. And try to find that to be true. Two nations, however, are unique here, Israel and Esau. Israel needs a go-between. It is God's own people. And Jacob, 
because his image is engraved upon God's throne of glory. Really? Jacob's image is engraved upon God's throne of glory. Where does it say in the Bible that Jacob's image is, in, is engraved on God's throne? Nowhere. Symbolizes man's highest potential. Esau's guardian angel is different from all the others. For just as Esau epitomies, epitomizes evil, so does his angel. For you see, Jacob wrestled with Satan himself. What? Well, that's an opinion, right? Christians say Jesus. The rabbis, the, at least this group, says it was Satan. Fascinating. Hosea, okay, the prophet Hosea, in chapter 12, verse 4, says it, it's Hosea has this opinion. Now, I trust Hosea. It's the angel of the Lord. Okay, so we got three different opinions here. So we have to take a look. Now, I've, what I'm going to do is this, is that we've got these three views. We've covered this before. We've shown that time and time again, the angel of the Lord is God. The Torah says it, okay? The rabbis don't want you to say that, okay? They don't want God to become a man. Remember, this is the angel of the Lord, okay? The angel of the Lord appears as a man in a number of cases, so they cannot have God become a man because that means that Jesus can become a man or God can become a man. All of a sudden, what we believe as Christians is true. You see what I'm getting at? So we've gone over this time and time again. So Jacob says in verse 31, I've seen God. I've wrestled with him. Okay. Remember Abraham with the three men? One of them was the angel of the Lord, was God. Then Hagar. This is fascinating to me. This is the elevation of woman in the Torah. Here's Hagar, an Egyptian pagan maidservant of Sarah. It doesn't say she was religious. Okay, remember she had Ishmael. She's kicked out of the family. She's found in the desert by God, the, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appears to a woman first. The angel of the Lord appears to a pagan woman first and saves her. Wow. That's what I mean by the Torah elevating women. That's amazing. But she said, I called upon Adonai. And he is, Yahweh is the one that spoke to me. Yahweh, the Lord. She's saying. So over and over and over again, it is God. Now, for those of you Christians who would say, well, it's Jesus. Okay. Well, could it be? You have to ask the question, is Jesus God? Huh, okay. And Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, this man. So therefore, he's got to be wrestling with God. So therefore, it could be Jesus, because Jesus is God. And the New Testament says there's only one God. But the Torah doesn't say it's Jesus. Are you with me? I'm just saying that's speculation on our part, and it's very interesting speculation. So, But anyway, it's the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, manifest, manifestation of the God. By the way, just want to, this is cool. Chapter, again, it's 32, 33, or 34, right where we are. It's where uh, Jacob knows he's going to encounter Esau. Okay? And, matter of fact, I've got to find it. <clears throat> it's right at the beginning of the chapter. And I'm going to do, in, I'm going to look at it in the ESV. Genesis 32. Now listen to this. It says... 
Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now, that's the ESV. I'm reading from the ESV. Now, in the Hebrew, I want to let you know what it says. In the Hebrew, it says, Jacob went on his way, and the Malachim of God met him. The messengers. Are you with me? That's what it should say. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. Wait a minute. The Hebrew word there is Malachim. Why shouldn't it be angels? Because it's not. If the translation is true, it should say Jacob sent angels before him. We have a problem with translation. I challenge you to actually bring your brain to the Bible and study angelology and find out where it came from. You will be surprised because it comes from the Middle Ages. It's not in the Bible. Very interesting. Anyway, that's a side thing. So you've got all of these different views of what's going on here. And I really am stumped because, again, the question was posed to me as I'm learning this. Why? What? What's going on here? And I'm thinking in my own mind, it's got to be archaeology. It's got to be culture. It's got to be custom. Sarna, Nahum Sarna, who is a fantastic Jewish biblical scholar and who wrote the volume Genesis for the JPS Torah Commentary, one of the best scholarly works on the Torah, he gave a credible answer. He gave a possibility, a real possibility as to what's going on here. Now, he said that this whole thing is a polemic. Now, what I mean by that is, let me describe polemic to you because Dr. John Kareed, in his book Against the Gods, uh, Dr. Kareed basically has a thesis, and it's really interesting, okay, that in order to understand the Torah, in order to understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you need to understand Egypt because who are the people who were the first ones to read the Bible? The Hebrews. Okay? After Moses died, that's what they've got. All, what do they know? Do they know anything about rabbis? No. Do they know anything about the Messiah? Uh-uh. All they know is Egypt. So God uses culture, what they understand, to teach them about himself. But he's got to come against pagan culture. That's a polemic. So in other words, he will use things influencing the writers, okay? And it's not just Moses, but influencing the writers to actually do something that's against one of the pagan beliefs, okay? So Dr. Kareed says, let me give you the Harvard definition. The primary purpose of polemical theology is to demonstrate emphatically and graphically the distinctions between the worldview of the Hebrews the Bible, and the beliefs and practices of the rest of the ancient Middle East. It helps to show that Hebrew thought is not a mere mouthpiece of other ancient uh, Eastern cultures. Polemic theology is monotheistic to the very core. One God and one God only. Okay? No other gods. 
Here's an example. When This is amazing because Robin and I saw this all over Egypt. Every place in every temple, whether it's a mortuary temple or the temple one of the gods, makes no difference. You always saw um, Pharaoh with the power of his right arm or his right hand, okay? In ancient writing, okay, you always had the phrase that Pharaoh had a strong hand or he possessed a strong arm. That's Egyptian, okay? And what does God do to inspire Moses? Because all of a sudden, in Exodus, it assigns the same features to Yahweh to, humil- who, to humiliate Pharaoh. God's right arm, God's strong hand. It's a polemic. If you're a Hebrew from Egypt and you hear that, we'll be, we'll be getting there next year, Exodus. So we'll be dealing with all of this stuff. If you're a Hebrew, you say, wow, God has the strong right arm, not Pharaoh. And remember, the writings of Pharaoh or the writings of the Egyptians predates the Bible. We're going back to the 4th century BC, 4th century, 4th millennium. Okay, and this is where you see some of this stuff. Here's another one. In the ancient texts of the Egyptians, you will always find something like this, especially in the Book of the Dead. The gods are always talking in the Book of the Dead. And the gods will always say, thus says. Okay, so here's one. Thus says Atum. It's all over the place. And so what we have is we have... Moses saying to Pharaoh, thus says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus says. That's a polemic. But forget Pharaoh. He's trying to teach his people. That's the issue. He's trying to reach them. So Sarna is saying that this story of Jacob and the man fight in the, who he's wrestling is a polemic. Really? So let's go in to the JPS Torah commentary. So what Sarna does, oh man, there's just so much to learn. He's got the regular, so just open up pages in here. Here's the regular verses, okay? And he's got commentary on each verse, sometime on each word. But then, considering that the topic is so um, in-depth, he has articles in the back. So here's an article on Jacob struggles with the angel. Yeah, like two and a half pages long, okay? So Sarna is saying, hey, did you know this? That this is showing the influence of two dominant motifs in the ancient Near East. One of them is the river. As the scene of struggle recalls, now listen to this, in the ancient Near East, among the Canaanites, among the Hittites, among all of these tites, okay, there were many tales of river spirits that fight with humans who wanted to cross the river. The rivers were already unexpectedly dangerous, so people believed that the river itself had some sort of evil power that they needed to placate. So travelers would take good care to appropriate the river servant through sacrifice, libation, or other rituals. In other words, they would try to appropriation. In other words, to satisfy the demon and say, if I do X, Y, and Z, will you let me cross? Equally widespread of the demonic being whose 
his power is restricted to the night. Do you remember in the story? The man says, hurry up, the day's coming. See, that fits the ancient tales. Now, see, for you, it makes no difference because the Mississippi River has no river gods. Well, maybe it does, okay? I don't know. Maybe go down there alone some night. Maybe there are some river gods, okay? No, but in the ancient Near East, these people would be confronted with stories like that. So maybe is God preparing them, okay, about this? Maybe Moses knows Remember, Moses is educated. He's educated in Pharaoh's family. He could very well know some of these things, and he's inspired because he knows his people are going to be actually facing this. So there's the other motif in here, and that's called Israelite monotheism. Okay? And so God inspires Moses to transform the biblical narrative, to be a polemic. In other words, 100% in the opposite direction. Jacob knows nothing about river spirits, and who's he fighting? Some guy. He's fighting a guy, not an evil spirit. There's no ceremony that takes place. Now, this mysterious being injures Jacob. But traditionally, okay, the human being who wants to cross the river injures the spirit. But here, the man injures Jacob. See, everything is in reverse. The assailant blesses Jacob and proves cannot be a demon. It says, okay, now what's really fascinating, you always hear me talking about the Orthodox rabbis and their opinions, and sometimes I show you some things that are really outlandish, but there's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who basically says, you know, the only one who can do blessing is God. And he goes through biblical verses to show you that the only one that can bless is God. So who did Jacob fight with? God. Isn't that amazing? So there's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, man. Woo! I like his opinion, okay? Because he actually used biblical, biblical examples. In it. So there's a Bible study for you. Who has the ability to bless? And just stay in the Torah. Don't go anyplace else. Just stay there. Fascinating. So, in short, the occurrence of this evident incident by a river and the sudden attack by a mysterious assailant indicate that, popper, that popular folk tales provided the literary model for this biblical narrative. So, in our own language, God is using culture, things that they would be familiar with to try to teach them a lesson. But be careful, but a careful and radical purging of all the elements offensive to monotheism of Israel has taken place. That is just, Sarna gives us this opinion of God using culture. To me, I'm not trying to say that Sarna's right, okay? He's just saying, wait a minute, there's something to take a look at. Because take a look at the opinions we have now. We have, let me go back to my notes now. Christians, some say Jesus. Orthodox rabbi, Satan. We read that. Hosea, bless his heart. Okay, in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, he says it's the angel of the Lord. Okay. And Sarna says, okay, that this is a polemic. That's all he says. Okay, in terms of that. And he wrestled with a man. And that's Sarna's conclusion. Okay. 
And then we had that one Orthodox Jewish rabbi who says, only God can bless, and this man blessed Jacob. And on top of that, only God can bless. Fascinating. So we have five statements here. Is any one of them the statement? We don't know. So here we're dealing with an awesome event. But I remember something that Dennis Prager said. Dennis Prager is a very practical man, very down to earth. And he said, this Bible, now he's Jewish, so I'm holding up the Jewish Bible. Actually, I'll hold up the Christian Bible. Okay. Sorry, Dennis. Anyway, this Bible is God's word. And the Torah needs to teach me, this is Dennis, needs to teach me how to live today. Because if the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, cannot teach me how to live today, it's worthless. And he said, I find so much in here. So he said, I'm not worried about why this story occurs. What is it teaching me? Uh, to me, so I can live today. What does it teach me? And I mean, in, with Sarah, what is it teaching me? There is only one God and there's God alone and there are no other gods. That's one thing that I just jumped out at me. And over and over and over again, it's always amazing how I'm studying the Torah and as some of you are aware, you're, you and along, we're on this journey. We're seeing the gospel. We're seeing Jesus in this. Amazing stuff. So this is an amazing study. Why is this story here? Jacob wrestling. We don't know. There are unanswered questions. We looked at several different views about who he wrestled with. I, I tend to agree that he wrestled with God. And what does it mean for us today in the 21st century? What does it mean for you? This is God's word. For me, I learned that sometimes the Bible doesn't have or doesn't give us the, the, the answer to perplexing questions. And that's okay. We struggle with some of those questions. We struggle with trying to find the answers in God's word. It's not everywhere, but it happens sometimes. And it's okay. And as we struggle, Jacob got the name Israel, which means struggle with God. And so as we struggle with God, we struggle with his purposes, and we struggle with his will. But in our struggle, what happens is the Lord shows us that he is the one and only God, and he blesses us as he blessed Jacob. And he knows we're mortal. He knows we struggle with these concepts that are sometimes so difficult to understand. And on top of that, God is not just God out there who created all things and all of a sudden he just kind of leaves us alone. No, God is personal. He interacts with us, with each of us on a deep, intimate, and personal way. So we're about to hit lesson 79 and here Jacob 
is going to first encounter his brother Esau after 20 years. Later, he goes to the city of Shechem, his first major stop in the, in, in the land called Canaan. We pronounce it Canaan. You remember Shechem? That's the city that Abraham and Sarah visited first when they came to the land of Canaan, just like a Jacob. So for Abraham and Sarah, it's their first stop. Abraham shows up, builds an altar, and God comes to him and promises them the land. Now his grandson shows up, Jacob, with his wives and all the kids. He builds an altar. We're going to see this just like Grandpa. And on top of that, Jacob buys land at Shechem. He's beginning to own the land. We're beginning to see the promises of God actually fulfilled. And we're beginning to see some of them fulfilled in Jacob. Is there more? Oh, you better believe it. It's going to take us all the way to Yeshua, all the way to Jesus. So I'll see you in Lesson 79, and until then, Shalom.